Hi, I'm Michael G. Williams, and welcome to Social Distancing Radio. I'm a novelist, and a reader and friend of mine asked if I would record myself reading one of my novels as something they would find comforting and familiar in the midst of the uncertainty and anxiety of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'll be reading to you from Perishables, the first book in my five-book urban fantasy and vampire series, The Withrow Chronicles, published by Falstaff Books, aka FalstaffBooks.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, head over to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y, slash Perishables link. That goes to Amazon. Thanks. All right, y'all, let's fire this back up. Got my, got my reading wine. Got my phone in airplane mode this time. Got my glasses. Yes, this is basically exactly what it's like to go to one of my readings at a con. I'm always standing at the front narrating myself. So. Let's see. I might be backing up. I might be, it might be that I start, that I ended a little past this point last time, but this is where I'm going to start. Oh, yeah. Okay, after one more sip of reading one. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, that is the stuff. Okay. Oh, by the way. Totally unrelated, uh, and definitely not as an excuse to drink more read and wine before I read. Uh, there's a site, bookshop.org, I think. They are like the wholesale front end for a whole bunch of independent bookstores' websites. They're doing a thing where if you go through their webpage, their website, and you choose a local bookstore, a bookshop, and it doesn't have to be one that's actually local to you, I'm going to buy some books this weekend from them. And I'm going to choose bookshops in Asheville. I'm going to choose bookshops in Washington, D.C. I'm going to choose a bookshop in Raleigh. I'm going to choose a bookshop in San Francisco. You know, I'm going to make sure that I spread the love around a little bit. Um, But if you choose a local bookshop to be quote-unquote shopping from when you're on their website, then they get, that local bookshop gets 25% of the take. And if you don't choose a local bookshop, then 10% of whatever you spend goes into a pool. And that pool is being divided among all the bookshops that they represent. And last I checked, they were up to nearly half a million dollars to get spread around among, admittedly, a lot of bookshops. But, you know, three or four grand to a local bookshop can mean a lot in terms of a big difference. And... It can really help them get through a very difficult time. So if you're looking for a place to spend money, if you buy a book from me or another Falstaff author or the Falstaff Books booth at a convention, then those books came from Ingram. That's where uh, 
John, the publisher of Falstaff Books, gets his paper copies, and that's where we get our author copies. And Ingram is also a distributor to bookstores. Bookshop.org has Ingram as one of their suppliers, and so almost all the Falstaff Books titles are available from Bookshop.org, just like they would be from Amazon. But if you buy them from Bookshop, then 10% of that money goes into that big pool to help local bookstores which would be amazing. So keep that in mind if you're going to be spending any money on physical books anytime in the near future. I admit that today the book I bought myself was an ebook, but mm, we make the choices we can with the resources we have available. So anyway, let's get started on this. At this point in the story, oh, please, we're up to like installment nine. You know the story, or 10, 11, something like that. Um, but Jennifer is a system administrator for a uh, mainframe computer at a little Bible college. She and her coworker Everett have gone to hide out in Everett's office while her boyfriend Tim shows up to meet them. I ran my fingers through my long, sort of bland, sort of wavy, but not really, but still somehow kind of frizzy and sort of brown-black hair, and pulled it back and half-heartedly tried to twist it out of the way while I pondered a response. You have a TV? Why? Well, you could keep an eye on the news. Oh, they're just going to keep showing that stupid cop's cell phone thing, he said, or something like it. I shrugged. Sometimes Everett could be a bitch when he'd had enough to drink. I really didn't want this one drink. Okay, two. To be the start of a downhill slide into cynicism in a situation where we really didn't need cynicism. I resolved to do two things and immediately did them. First, I announced that I needed to go to the bathroom and did so. That gave me a couple of minutes in front of a mirror, kind of checking myself out. No wounds, no scratches, no bruises, no anything. That was good. To look at myself and see myself whole while my brain bubbled trying to understand, incorporate, and include in my concept of the world exactly what seemed to be going on out there. Second, on returning to Everett's office, I sat down and said, You used the Z word. Everett had the bottle within reach, but he hadn't lifted it to his cup again. He took his eyes off of it and smiled. Well, you know. Know what? Well, that it's just good shorthand. It looks more accurate than vagrant, you must admit. It isn't just shorthand. I kept my voice steady. We both saw what was trying to come after that cop. He tasered it twice and shot it. What? Five or six times after that? I figured Everett was also remembering that moment when the thing fell down and started crawling forward on its elbows and that he was just as completely wigged out as I was. That's not normal. My phone rang abruptly, making both of us jump. It was Tim. He'd pulled into the parking lot downstairs. Everett took the stairs down to let him in, and they rode back up in the elevator. Neither of us said anything, but it was pretty clear he'd come back up that route just to make sure there was nothing in the elevator already. Tim and I hugged, gave each other a long kiss, hugged again. If you've ever been in that sort of situation and had the chance to do that, you know why they do it in every movie ever made. Then the three of us sat in mostly silence. Tim didn't, or wouldn't, say much about the drive up from Asheville, except to say that there were sections of the highway that were almost impassable due to wrecks or people simply abandoning their cars, but that he made it. I made it, he said, and that was all the detail he would offer. Everett went back to his window staring, and then we heard static in the air as an intercom system crackled to life. The biology department has an intercom? 
I looked sort of astonished. What was this, 1957? No, Everett said as he turned around and sat back down in his seat. The whole campus does. All students are requested to return to their dormitories until further notice. The voice was Chancellor Thomas. All faculty and staff, the student government, and all resident assistants are to report to the main auditorium of the Carl E. Hammerhead Student Life Center in 30 minutes. It is recommended that you walk in groups. It repeated twice more with pauses of 30 seconds between the announcements. Everett and Tim and I sat together in silence and listened each time. Finally, we heard the static whine of the intercom system turn off and Everett looked at Tim. Did you see any on the way here? Tim looked at him and blinked a couple of times, then nodded. A few. How far away? About, only about ten minutes outside of Asheville. There are a lot of miles of highway between here and there, Everett said after some thought. We've got a lot of time. Were they... I paused and swallowed air. Were they headed this way? Tim kind of shrugged at me. They were just, you know, there. They weren't headed anywhere in particular. I, uh, I ran a couple over. Tim kind of shrugged at me. They were just, you know, there. They weren't headed anywhere in particular. I, uh, I ran a couple over. It was an accident. They looked really, really... But his voice caught and he stopped and turned white. Everett nodded at me and said, We'd better go to the student center. We've got 30 minutes, though, so I suggest we take the time to arm ourselves. With what? Mop handles, tire irons, whatever looks useful and doesn't require reloading. I nodded at that, and he and I left Tim sitting there in his office while we ransacked the janitor's closet on that floor. A little duct tape around the middle of a mop handle gave me something kind of like a staff that I could get a good grip on in a hurry, and Everett tried to show me a couple of moves with it in two minutes. Turns out he's a black belt in something. I don't know what. It has a complicated name. He said Jet Li knows the same stuff and then waggled his eyebrows a little. Everett has a thing for Jet Li. I carried my mop handle, and Everett carried two lengths of chain with padlocks on the ends and some yellow plastic tape that said, Caution, Caution, Do Not Cross, Caution, Caution, Do Not Cross, on a roll. I did not even bother asking. We gave Tim a fire extinguisher that had some heft to it, but he carried it hugged in both arms so that he wouldn't be able to use it to club anything that wasn't already ramming its head against his chest. He hadn't gotten his color back from when he went pale just starting to talk about the drive. I didn't push it. The three of us left the bio building through the side entrance we used to come in and set off together towards the student center with 15 minutes to spare. I'll spare you most of Chancellor Thomas's speech. It was hurried and stumbling and basically he recapped the most sensational crap from Fox News. Then he introduced security officer Jacobs. Jacobs is a stereotypical donut muncher with a jarhead buzz cut. He was in Vietnam. He likes to talk about Vietnam anyway. The truth is that anyone who was there, in my experience, doesn't so much like to talk about it. He's a retired sheriff's deputy who mostly rides around campus in a golf cart with a little blue light on top of it, like the Grand Marshal of a Kmart parade. He kept kneading his hands with one another while he spoke, rubbing the palm and back of one hand between the fingers and thumb of the other, then switching while he talked. He fidgeted a lot. There was a taser and a holster on his right hip, and, then he was, and when he wasn't kneading his hands into dough, he would rest his right hand on it and put his left thumb and middle finger together and gesture with them. In light of the current situation, he said, 
thumb and middle finger hooked in an O on his left hand and bouncing in rhythm to his syllables. I think we should organize some safety patrols. No group smaller than three. Faculty would be matched with faculty, staff with staff. Resident assistants should organize posted watches at any entrance to their dormitories and keep their residents inside. Cell service is functioning for now, so we can use that to keep in touch. There was some murmuring in the crowd. <clears throat> is cell service expected not to work at some point? Came a voice from somewhere in the middle of the room. Jacob's forehead was sweating hard and his face was a deep red. Well, I don't want to leap to any conclusions, he tried to say, but the next questions were already coming out. What about families of faculty members? Would anyone have to patrol with anyone else outside their department? Did they have walkie-talkies in case phones stopped working? How long until the power went out? Had anyone talked to the sheriff's department? Had one of the things on the news been seen in town yet? Jacobs did his best to shout them down, then... I've called over to, sh to the sheriff's substation on the Asheville Highway and got forwarded automatically over to the 911 center in Asheville. It, he paused and cleared his throat. It went to a message telling me they had an unusually high call volume. With each of the last six words, his voice got more and more quiet so that the wave of noise crashed over the last two syllables of his response. He put his hands up and dusted off his nothing-to-see-here voice he kept in reserve for homecoming games. Listen, listen, people, the sheriff's department has their hands full on the other end of the county. We are on our own here. He was booming, assertive, something we didn't often see in Jacobs. We have got to keep our heads level and work together. I want to talk to department chairs and hash out the details, and then we'll give out orders from there. Everett looked around the room, saw Dr. Bach in a pair of chinos and a button-up shirt rise, and walked towards the front to join the other department chairs, then sighed and said to us softly, these crackers are going to get themselves killed. Let's say we form our own patrol team. Tim was pretty blank, but I sighed and nodded at him. You've got it. I wasn't relishing having to walk around with my mop handle and try to keep many math professors from getting eaten. We started to get up and try to sneak out, but there was more bubbling up from the non-chair attendees, so that someone finally got a microphone in his hand, someone I didn't immediately recognize, and pointedly said, Officer Jacobs, exactly what are we facing out there? I've seen the news, and they don't know what to call those people. They're not people, came a few indistinct replies. One voice quite clearly followed that with, They're Muslims! I buried my face in my hands and tried not to scream. This was not what I needed to psych me up for going on patrol to defend myself against the Z-word. Someone else, a woman in a tracksuit, grabbed the microphone away from the guy who'd asked and turned her back to the stage to address the crowd. We all know what they are, she said, pointing out away wherever they were. They're the walking dead. We've all seen the movies. Jacobs isn't going to say this, but if we see one out there, we've got to know what to do. We've got to kill them. There were a few open scoffs and jeers, but there were a lot of silent, attentive faces that waited to see if she had anything else to say. So they had been watching the news. Everett tugged on my sleeve and I took Tim's hand. We slunk out the back and ran almost headfirst into J. Harley Boquest. He was standing there rubbing his Coke bottle lenses on a sleeve and glancing blindly out the big double doors of glass at the entrance to the student center. Christ, Harley, Everett sighed. You shouldn't be out here wandering around by yourself. J. Harley wasn't all that fond of Everett on the grounds that Harley was universally intimidated by big, physically powerful black guys, and it did nothing to help if they were, as he said it, light in their loafers. This was the inherent contradiction of racism combined with homophobia. 
The black man is a terrifying aggressor. The gay man, a Nelly collection of offensive femininity. But a black gay man is somehow terrifying and weak all at once. I will never understand a mind that works that way. J. Harley Boquest gave Everett a look. Having to look up at an almost 45 degree angle to look into Everett's very tall eyes, it's worth noting that had any number of cuss words in it, and then snuffled something half into his sleeve as he slipped the glasses back on. "'Miss McCordy,' he said to me as he tried to bounce past us and into the auditorium. "'Forget him,' I said, though I wasn't sure to whom I'd said it. "'Let's just go.'" All right, y'all. Well, that is the 11th, 12th, something installment of Social Distancing Radio. And now, I've done half of my drinking, or, uh, oh half of my reading wine. And so I am going to go take a walk. I'll see you tomorrow night. Thanks for listening. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. The theme music is Plucked Contemporary Boom by Kara Square, available under a Creative Commons attribution license at ccmixter.org.